Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. I'm your host, Stella Bales. In this podcast series, I'll be interviewing experts in emerging areas of PR. We'll be taking those hot topics in public relations, dispelling any myths, breaking down the jargon, so you are completely clued up and ready to speak to your stakeholders by the time you reach the office. If you have any questions around the episode, please feel free to tweet me at Stella Bales. Hello, listeners. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. In this episode, I catch up with the lovely Sarah Waddington. She's the MD at an agency called Astute, which is based in the north of England in the UK. Sarah's pretty well known in the UK PR industry. And actually, if you're based anywhere else in the world, if you're involved in conversations about PR, especially about inclusivity in PR, you would have probably come across Sarah. She's got all sorts of industry accolades, but that's because she is really passionate about improving diversity and inclusivity in the PR industry, especially in the UK. She set up and led the CIPR's gender policy work for many years. She also launched a project which improves social mobility. And she's also on the advisory board of the Blueprint, which is part of the BME PR Pro mentoring scheme. And we're going to talk about that a little bit more in this episode. But I initially wanted to catch up with Sarah about the Future Proof book series that she curated. And in particular, the latest edition that's just come out, which is number four in the series. It's an uplifting look at BME talent. We talked about the co-authors that she worked with, the chapters within the book and the author's stories. And that led us onto a really interesting conversation. We talked about diversity in PR and representation in UK teams, why two white women are talking about this topic and why that's important, how diversity means that we can connect and truly relate to the public. We talked about ethics and responsibility in our communications and where the responsibility lies, whether that's with practitioners or within the media and also social platforms and the responsibility that all parties have. It's a jam-packed and passionate half an hour of an episode and I'm keen to hear what you think once you listen to this episode of the PR Resolution Podcast. Welcome to the PR Resolution Podcast. This week I am joined by Sarah Waddington. Welcome, welcome. Thank you very much for having me. It's great to have finally have a chat, just the two of us. We've talked for years over Twitter, a bit over email, and I actually got involved in one of the, I don't know if it was the first or the second edition of Future Proof. I think you um, were number one. Oh, really? Yeah, it was brilliant to get involved. And so I just really wanted to grab you this week in your busy time of going between the north of the country and to London um, to talk about and to celebrate the latest edition of Future Proof. Um, but just before we sort of move on to that, four editions of Future Proof, when did they start, first of all? When was that first? Oh, yeah, when well, I were talking a little bit of time back now, <laughs> they actually started in 2015, believe it or not. That's when I published the first one. And in 2016, number two came very hot on the heels just because it was so intensely popular. I needed to get on and get the second one done because loads of people put forward new areas that they felt we could take the book into. So, mm. yeah, it just moved really quickly. And I've just been really fortunate that people got behind it. I mean, so many good chapters in the one that I was involved in. It wasn't a surprise that it was so popular. I mean, literally thousands of downloads you had with that first one, didn't yeah, you? Yeah, they've all been nuts, to be honest. And um, they're now mainly on um, 
like a lot of university reading lists. I know a lot of the big agencies buy them for their for their teams. Uh, I know a lot of people buy them for their senior management because actually it's a really good message about the strategic value of PR to organisations. And that was always the purpose of it. I actually deliberately designed it for media to senior, mid to senior management. But like I say, it, it seems to span everybody from new starters right, right through. And, you know, it, it came from the fact that I had this idea, having always worked in agency, that there had to be a handbook somewhere, surely, that brought together all the things I learned on the job. So there's like lots of separate books, but never anything that actually covered a lot of the things that I felt I'd learned that nobody had really taught me. And I kind of knew I couldn't do it justice myself. So then I had this great idea based on Stephen Waddington's crowdsource model that he'd used before with PR Stack and other things, that I should do the same by mm. sourcing chapters from individual specialists. And it came from there, really. And then I spoke to Dr. John White, who... Um, have a huge amount of time and respect for and he pointed me in the direction of, of different pieces of work that he did and different bits of research that talked about this thing of PR as a strategic management function which in my head even I hadn't really considered which all of a sudden changed my outlook completely started to change the way I was doing work and then I decided that I really wanted to cascade that through the work I was doing in future proof. Mm. That's so interesting. I think that uh, you're saying about it being a handbook for what and things that you'd learn on the job. I think that's why I absolutely loved it. And um, when I got involved in the chapter that I wrote, which was, I think it was about integrating, if I remember both those years back, it was uh, integrating paid into PR strategies. But all of the other chapters were just so useful. And I found them really practical. And I think that's something in PR when you read, there's some brilliant books but often they're quite sort of thought-provoking or uh, inspirational but I found that the future-proof books are that plus real practicalities like let's get this done kind of thing. Uh, thanks that's that's exactly what they're meant to be I mean they're supposed to be thought-provoking so it's about what's next on the horizon and what's useful and what should we be thinking about in terms of our CPD but also what's useful to organizations but it also needed to be something that you could go right I need to write an internal comms strategy or I need to think about for example, in the latest one, we've got a chapter on pitching to radio. How do I do that successfully? Um, and, you know, it's great is that so many people have said to me that they do the same as me. So they'll literally think I need to know something on that. And they'll go and get their book, get it down from the shelf and go through and flick through the chapters. Uh, or they'll go to the blog because obviously I've made sure that so everybody can access all the chapters. It's all available on the Future Proof blog. And, and they go and have a look at that. So just from a, a quick search, it's all at their fingertips. And I think that's really, really important. And I think what's lovely about it is it just iterates very naturally. So I've tried to cover all the key things and we look at strategy and the tactical side of stuff and what's in the horizon and what does best practice look like. And we've had it from, um, you know, practitioners, academic teachers, you name it. And they're across the, the globe. It's not just UK people. But there's always something new to think about. And there's always a topic that perhaps we haven't covered today. So as I'm reading, or as I'm learning, I'm like, we've got to get that in the next book. And, um, you know, as part of that, we've had this lovely book, which was number three, which was, um, you know, a certain moment in time, I wanted to, you know, the NHS 1070, and I really wanted to celebrate that and kind of do something that expressed my gratitude to the NHS, because like many, many people, it's helped me and my family, God knows how many times along the years. And I just wanted to also celebrate the work they do there, because I think it's been different recently, but they, to the, in the past, have been unsung heroes. They do have limited budget, but they do an awful lot 
with it. And actually there's a lot of best practice that is perhaps hidden and they don't recognize themselves because they don't have time to stop and, and look at it and think, actually, that was a really good job. So things like, you know, people talk about nudge theory. They've been doing that for years in stopping people smoking, stopping obesity. And um, I wanted to draw that out. And what's really interesting now is that having just published this book four, which uh, features BME talent, which I know we're going to come on to, I'm actually already on to editing book five, which is my next job after this. Um, and that's another look at the NHS and how COVID-19 has impacted communications. Wow. So much. I mean, you saying that the people just, you've heard that people take the book off the shelf when they're working on something. I actually did that this morning. <laughs> I referenced I referenced the latest edition um, and because uh, I was writing some content for one of the uh, tools that I work on. And yeah, I referenced um, Alicia's, is it Alicia or? Yeah, Alicia Solanke, yeah. Yeah, and I referenced her chapter and I, I know that we want to, I'm going to speak about that a little bit more and I've got some questions, but yeah, it really was really helpful for some of the uh, content that I was writing so thank you (laughs) like I say I can talk about it and be absolutely bowled over by it because you know what it's not my book it's it's like crowdsourced it's co-authored it's only as good as the people in it and that's why I always get goose pimples um, when people are delighted with it because I'm always proud of it um, but it's thanks to their generosity because they're the ones who give their time free of charge to share their expertise and it wouldn't work without that yeah. and I really am grateful for that because this whole part of part of the purpose of future proof it had three things to reassert PR as a strategic management function so more organizations would appreciate us and invest in us I didn't feel that there was really a strong cheerleader for the industry so it was partly to do that and and the key thing for me really is this social mobility element to make best practice more available to everybody um, to kind of level that playing field because we know uh, industry research shows that we're becoming a closed shop you know if you've not got networks and money you you really can't get in and there are a lot of underrepresented groups whether you're disabled whether you're from a welcome on to the BME background whether BME is a good term but it works in this particular context there's a lot of people who can't necessarily access the stuff or have the opportunities that everybody else does and this I suppose is one small way that I'm trying to to address that I love hearing your passion for for the not just the books but for the, the causes and also hearing the inspiration of where the topics come from so on to the latest edition that's just been published um it's about BME celebrating BME pro talent and um I read that you decided when you were involved in the BME pro conference that you wanted to make the book about that so what was that sort of penny drop moment for you yeah, so um, I met Elizabeth Bananuka uh, and she just really impressed me. She, she'd spoken to me about a diversity initiative she was working on and invited me on to a panel, to, the advisory panel to, to help move it forward. And um, she'd had this, she has this initiative called BME PR Pros, and it's all about giving them a platform and helping our industry become uh, more diverse. And she, as part of that, um, introduced the very first BME PR Pros conference, and it was brilliant. It, um, it was designed to only feature Black, Asian, mixed race, and um, ethnic minority speakers. And she just got some phenomenal names, and it was great. And uh, I ended up, through Astute.Work, which is my company, sponsoring it, uh, along with, with a number of others, including Ketchum and the CIPR. And it, it was just a superb, superb event. And I looked at it and just thought, wow. But what was really frustrating is that because it had a Black speaker lineup, actually, the, the people who were predominantly signing up the delegates were predominantly black, but it wasn't. It was for everybody in the industry. And I know that that frustrated Elizabeth and it really made me think. And I suddenly thought, you know what? And 
and one of the messages about how do we make the industry more diverse is about actually what more can we do as white people to do that because it's you know at the moment it's, uh, bme community are kind of like have they seem to have taken the responsibility of, of doing that well actually it's not it's the people who are in senior roles of power and influence to change things so I suddenly thought you know what I wonder because so I've been thinking about what would the next future would be I like to take it forward it always has to be something different but also it has to excite me because you know this is my side hustle that's on top of being a, a mum it's on top of running a very busy business it's on top of everything else like we've had the pandemic this year I've had the same experience as everybody else in terms of lockdown and I, I'd had this idea to maybe I do this as the next book and then it kind of paused for a while you know obviously the Black Lives Matter movement uh this year then gave me another pause to think and I just thought I've, I've got to do this I've, I've actually got to make this happen and um maybe this will be a great way of telling this story to a more of a white predominantly white audience because actually my network is predominantly white or it has been until very recently and mm. um, so that's kind of where that came about that makes sense it does absolutely um I wanted to get on to actually the the leadership of agencies in our industry a little bit later, but I feel as you've just mentioned it, it's quite relevant just to just just to dive into that now. This is no that I work in software, but I was PR agencies for some years at the beginning of my career, and I worked in two agencies great times in both but they were both had very different leadership um, and I experienced different vibes you say in 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 each one one much more forward-thinking much more diverse agency it was a smaller agency the other one was an international large agency predominantly run by white middle-class men with the same education Mm. Um, Mm. I when I, I was 18 when I arrived in that agency not with a university education had much more of an Essex accent than I do now. <laughs> um, in fact, just trying to speak a little bit like I was from Hackney. No, it wasn't from Hackney. <laughs> I just didn't there. really feel like I fitted in uh, that much. But the work that I was doing was absolutely bang on targeted to the kind of audiences of the of the clients that I was working on I was working on um, Adidas and some other uh, other clients and it was fine but it was just run quite differently and you could just I felt a little bit out of place having just been a different education and I, I sounded different you know and dressed differently but then going on to my second agency it was a completely different experience because it was much more diverse for all sorts of different reasons and I felt like the then the work was much more relatable to the audiences and the public that we were um, trying to relate to you know and, and speak to so it definitely obviously has a different um, a different positioning but do you think we can change more certain ways, ways of thinking of, of senior leadership? Or do we just have to sort of wait for new people to sort of come through with, with different thoughts and a bit more forward thinking? I think there's two parts to this. I think there is going to be a generational change. I feel like this year for the first time, and I said this on the last Blueprint advisory panel call actually that I felt like there's been a step change this year that people are actually starting to get it my white colleagues are starting to get it and understand mm. um you know one of the chapters in the book is about cultural grief a couple of people have covered it and um to be honest the first time I read it and obviously I read it a few times I edit it I go through I might make comments I liaise with the authors and then it comes back and I, there's a whole proofing bit and then it goes to be published and I have to proof it again and the whole cultural grief thing and lived experiences and I've always counted myself as an ally perhaps not as 
um, proactive and ally as I would count myself as now, but I have counted myself as a as a supporter in the past. I, I, I suddenly realised how how far away from being a true supporter I actually was. And I think this it's interesting because I think there were going to be some agencies, as you said, perhaps sorry, but pay a mail sale management team who are not interested in doing different. They do things that, the way they do. They're quite happy having a team that reflects them, a bit of groupthink. And that seems fine to them because you know what? The money's rolling in, the, the campaigns are doing well, they might be getting awards. That's going to be a fact of life. We're not going to deal with them. Let's not worry about that too much because you know they're of a generation and I think things are changing from then. But I definitely sense that actually outside of those people, people are recognizing that back to this whole thing, PR is supposed to represent the you know society, the the, the, the audiences and, and, and the communities that we serve. We're not doing that, we're doing that really badly. Industry research proves that. Um, I think they also recognize that um, you know, there's actually a much more vocal group out there saying actually this isn't good enough. I mean, the book itself is full of such brilliant talent. Why would you not want to hire those people and mm. make them feel comfortable in their in, in their surroundings? Um, and I think the other thing is that actually we just don't think longer ter- long term enough. And I've always said for a long time that PR is really bad at using HR. And I don't really like human resources as a term more talent management stuff because human resources makes it sound so disposable and a commodity doesn't it but um it's really important because actually we don't think about hr we don't do it properly in most cases and um and i think this this smacks of this so for example we get to a point where an agency gets to a point they go all of a sudden oh we need an account manager oh um yes we need to be let's try and make it a diverse hire but you know what they haven't done the legwork before that to be able to do that so you're going to go out you're going to go out to your network it's probably predominantly white network work and you're not going to people where that you know might be not might not be going to where the diverse talent you want to find is actually operating you're not engaging in the way that you would do with a normal campaign mm. so do you know what I mean it needs a much longer term strategy and Dr Joanna Abeyi in the book talks really really well about this that actually you need to start now to think about for when you're going to be hiring later so mm. where are the people that you might want to hire what are your what are your processes like Ron Shah from Ruben Sinclair also writes really well about bias and how do you get rid of that and 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 you know how to use different forums perhaps to, to attract the right kind of talent and mm. also it's about listening very closely to your workforce so you can understand their lived experience because you might not understand or perceive the barriers that they're experiencing day to day and again it's a message that comes out really loud and clear in the book and I think is really really helpful so yeah I think there's like the people you can't do anything about and I think that's sad but we have to recognize that's a fact of life but I do think it's a generational thing and I think things are shifting but I think for anybody who wants to be more proactive there are lots of things you can do and like I say Rowan's and, and Joanna's chapters are a great place to start because like you said before in terms of practical advice those two are jam-packed with it you can't possibly go away from that and say I couldn't change my recruitment practices mm. and similarly and I know we'll come on to it later look at the this is the blueprint by Elizabeth Bananuka because that's the the, ba- the basis of her work I guess it's not even just somebody might listen to this and go okay yeah we'll make a hire it's about creating yeah. the right environment and keeping people happy in their environment so they can flourish and be creative and all work together in a great way to, to, to be able to create campaigns that really and do relate. have a safe space so like yeah. you know culturally lots of people will disagree on stuff so you might be producing a campaign that needs to be a safe space within the when I would say that for, for anybody really but yeah. the, you know people need to be able to particularly say do you know what that might be perceived wrongly or do you know what this this sits uneasily with me you know it's funny you know because I was thinking about this and thinking you know you and I could be accused of I don't know you know somebody might say you've got two white women talking about race but I think this is important because you know what it's and, and people I know some people will take offense to this but it's the white people that are the problem at the moment 
Do you know, do you know yeah. what I mean? So do you yeah. know what? If we're discussing it and it will ho- hopefully help others to take the steps they need to, to engender change, so be it and all the better. This podcast is brought to you by Coverage Book, the reporting tool that's made by PR people for PR people. Head to coveragebook.com for your free trial. We've talked about um, some of the chapters in the book being practical. They really are. And the beginning of the book is so thought provoking. It really is. Yeah. Yeah, It's yeah. It's just like, okay, right. Carrying on with this. Manifest chapter is I could not have asked for a better opening chapter and what's yeah. interesting about it is I, I said to people as ever this is about um, sharing best practice um, the fundamentals of PR but also gave it within their gift to write if they wanted to write about issues affecting them they were very very welcome to do that and I'm so glad that some of them did choose to do that because I feel like the first four chapters are just a really beautiful way of describing what our black and ethnic minority peers face day to day just because they have a different skin color uh, mm. and different background and, and mm. I just think they write it so beautifully with such grace that um it's hard not to go away and not think about it and not to want to do more to help them really I haven't met Julian but the I, I've heard some of his podcasts in the mm. in the past um that chapter was amazing but generally I am a, a fan of manifest work and yeah. you know it's no reason it's no surprise sorry that um they win award after awards for their amazing work that they do and their campaigns that they do um and so they are you can see that they are really doing well with diversity but just it just feels like it's just natural to, to you know for them it feels, doesn't, doesn't it? yeah it's not like they've sort of set out to go this is the way we're going to hire and we are now diverse it's just like <laughs> yeah no they're good people yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's just really interesting because, um, as I said in my in the forward in the book, that I, people often say to me, "What can we do?" I don't know how to, you know what I don't know how to do it, and I'm frightened of getting it wrong. And that's also a theme, you know. A couple of people like Harriet Small Alcott writes about it's okay to get it wrong. Just please try, and we'll try and be supportive. And I think that's where we need to get to. But mm. pe- I've often said to people, you know, if you really want to take this seriously, you've got to work from the standpoint that actually we're all inherently racist and I'm not attaching blame to that I just think that we are born and raised in a society where we're conditioned to act in a a certain way and if you don't think about it certain behaviors can create certain consequences even when they're like and they're often unintended and we just need to be more thoughtful about that and the more that we listen to uh, lived experience the more that we start to understand that and then we can change what we're doing Mm. Um, and I think as much as we see really bad examples which um, I don't think we could do this episode without mentioning pure gym at some point but um, (laughs) but um, but celebrating the great stuff too you know like um, I've always another fan of um, Talker Taylor Troublemaker as well and um, their work and I've met some of their team and I'm not sure if I don't know if they have been sort of mentioned as as being a celebration of diversity or not but I know that what how they work and I know how they operate and they really are and it's and you can see that come through in the campaigns and the and the way that again why they connect with audiences and how happy um, and creative their teams are but I guess for going back to um, agencies and people who are trying to be better you're involved in the blueprint which is a real good support for agencies right can you tell us a little bit more about that yeah so again uh, and I love uh, Elizabeth Bananuka I know she's Marmite to some but you know why it's because she creates discomfort and I really really believe that 
and I know it's not comfortable for those who are caught in the crossfire, but I really believe that we all have to experience discomfort if we're to understand this problem and to resolve it. But, and she, all her work is about, you know, like how do we as an industry become more diverse? And these are side hustles for her. You know, she, she started all this work when uh, she actually had a job and I believe she's freelancing now. Sorry, Elizabeth, if I got that wrong, but you know, these are things that she does on the side. So she's got BME PR pros and then she has developed the blueprint. And this is a dive, like a kind of mark to show that you have really thought about diversity and you're living and breathing that as a value and um, do you know what I have looked at the application form twice now and bloody hell it is thorough and you know I would encourage you to go and have a look and even if you don't apply to try and start to work through the steps because it is really really challenging but only when you start to look at that do you start to realize what the say do gap is so it's all very well about these people posting you know like black squares or saying stuff that they're yesterday diverse or leaping in into a twitter chat but actually when it comes down to it What's your policy? What's your senior management team look like? You know, how are you, you know, how are you recruiting? How do you um, retain and nurture your, your staff? Mm. You know, all these things matter. And often it all rings a bit hollow when you start to scratch beneath the surface. Mm, good place to start. Um, we've talked about the sort of how we all work together within the industry, whether that's in agency and in teams and creating a safe space. But what about, uh, I want to move on to responsibility in our communications to the public. <laughs> yeah. Um, because that's why we're all here. And um, there's a couple of things I want to cover. I did quickly mention Pure Gym. So anyone that's listening to this, we are in October and... How do I describe this? Pure Gym released, um, so I don't know if it was a campaign, was it a video or a post around? It was a, an exercise schedule, wasn't it, that you could follow? Yeah, and they had the theme of Black History Month, but uh, yeah, there was some... It linked the exercises to slavery yeah, and repetition, and it was it was just really badly done, wasn't it? Yeah, really badly done. So when we have things like that going on, which are just, um, I mean, it's being talked about a lot um, in the industry right now, when things like that happen that are just like a huge disappointment, and I mean, I know we're talking about sort of the celebration and the good stuff that's going on, which is a fantastic conversation to be happening in in the industry. And when I saw the front cover of PR Week recently, I was just like, yes, yeah. things are moving forward. This yeah. is great. And then I saw this awful <laughs> Good Gym um, campaign and I was just like... You know, when things like that happen, do you think it sets us back or do you think it encourages the conversation? You might find my response surprising here. I actually think when you when I start to look at it and you looked at the person who posted its personal posts as an apology, I actually think this wasn't to do with really, I don't think that you can really put the blame on the individual. This is an organisational issue as far as I'm concerned. So I think this person's intention was good, but this was actually about, this comes down to, right, why are we inherently racist is because we're not taught our history properly. You know, yeah, like absolutely. genuinely, we don't understand how Britain, Great Britain has been built on a lot about racism and colonialism and, and all of that. And we just brush it under the carpet. So actually we just don't learn it in history in school. Uh, and, th- you know, people were like, oh, this, this is a person who wrote it was a black man. They should know better, but not necessarily. You know, if he's gone through the same school system as his and I don't know his background, why should his viewpoint be any different to mine just because mm. he's a black Briton versus a white Briton? Mm. Um, and I do think his intention was good and his apology was heartfelt for me. I felt frustrated because this was immediately black down to pure Jim who, I've, who tried to distance themselves. So, you know, I felt 
we're just actually the ones to blame because why wasn't there a policy in place? Why hadn't someone checked this? Why were they leaving it to him to take the flak? You know, he put, he actually put, I'm sure he put his apology up on his own Insta feed, his own personal Insta feed, knowing what was going to happen. Can mm. you imagine being that man? You know, I've mm. been at the end of trolling before. He was, he, regardless, he was going to get hammered. So for me, this was about due diligence, governance, process, Putin failed on absolutely all of those. But mm. yes, bigger societal uh, issue there in terms of just, education yeah two really great points and um i guess the responsibility in communications coming back to us as practitioners but also in our organizations like what do we have in place to educate within the our organizations but also due diligence like you say if you want to celebrate something like black history month you shouldn't just be doing it on the hop it means this comes back to genuine value what your policy is If, if you're doing it on the hop you're doing it as a PR veneer, it's it's not for the right reasons. It's not because it's at the heart of your business. It's not because you care about it. It's because you've gone, oh, there's an opportunity. No, mm. ultimately, if you were going to do something, it should have been meaningful, should have been thought through, should have been planned. You know, it would be part of your strategy. Mm. Clearly, that's yes. not the case. And that's what's happening with things like these black squares. And when you actually, again, scratch between the surface, there's, there's now there. Social media has opened up so many, um, I guess, opportunities or channels, uh, just different discussions. And it has such a, a space for positive and negative. Um, I know that even when there was the black squares for Black Lives Matter, it was just like, yeah, but don't just do that. You know, that's yeah, just, yeah. Yeah, there was a lot of, um, but I guess for me, it, it did raise so many conversations with people that I hadn't had those conversations with before. And, and, and I think for everybody, it's about a moment when something resonates for them and they're like, do you know what? I'm going to go and do my own, my own education because it wasn't mm. at school. And I've, I've personally felt that when I was living in New York, I had a couple of situations where I was just like, oh my God, I hadn't, I hadn't felt racism as harshly as I did when I was living in Brooklyn and uh, yeah, had a relationship there. <laughs> anyway, I won't go into all of that now, but I educated myself a lot around that time. And um, yeah, and I think everyone needs a moment where they go, do you know what? And if it is because of, off the back of something huge going on on I social media or, or your own yeah. personal experiences you need that moment to to go and educate and it's awful that it's taken yet another tragedy another man's death for something like black lives matter to, mm. to really resonate with people but i think you know it is helpful to have conversations so when people say well all lives matter to explain that it's not that other people's lives don't matter but that some people are discriminated daily for doing nothing just because they have a different color skin mm. like literally for doing nothing they can't go to the garage in the car without being stopped because their skin isn't white you know that mm. that is not right and i think that's what's been helpful i think and actually about people have learned and there are going to be some people who are ne- you're never going to shift and again we have to recognize that but I know certainly my kids are nine and ten and they have a very different outlook on stuff and we talk about this stuff and I bought a book the other day for my 10 year old he thinks it's absolutely fascinating all about racism and he's telling me all kinds of stuff and it's great but then yeah. I, I see that's part of my responsibility and I want them to be change makers because I think we've got to start here but it's again 
it, it takes a wholesale shift and that takes years. Mm. You talked about your responsibility as a parent and um, and one of the chapters in the book is about the responsibility um, of journalists and media. I want to talk um, quickly about, uh, I say quickly, it's quite it's quite a big topic actually. What's the responsibility of social platforms and racism? Just quickly. Seriously, you know, like it's something that that um, I think about quite a lot, especially when, you know, there's responsibility of social platforms, not just for this topic, but all sorts of topics. It's like the responsibility of a practitioner versus platforms, right? Um, yeah. And um, and I think that that is a, an, interesting, an interesting thing to look at because at least with journalists, um, you're, you're still talking about a person and an organisation which we have a little bit more access to. When we're thinking about a social platform, it's just this whole huge, I was about to say monster. <laughs> you know, it doesn't have to be a monster, but, you know, and we, we've seen through it can be used in such a great way of spreading message like we've talked about Black Lives Matter movement this summer. But we have also seen it used in, in quite a negative way. So the Cambridge Analytica scandal, um, but particularly, I guess, with what we're talking about, there was I saw an article recently where it was actually proved that this did happen, that in the US election in uh, 2016, Cambridge Analytica was involved in Trump putting out, and it was like a, a strategy of their social ads to deter black Americans from voting in 2016. It was actually found that Disgusting, that right? I just couldn't, I mean, when I sort of heard about that, I was like, that can't be true. It can't be true. And it, it is, and it is disgusting. And that comes down to, I mean, there are people involved in those decisions there. Also, sorry, I, I was supposed to give you a question, but I obviously feel quite passionate <laughs> about this. Um, but the, the, yeah, I saw that the director of Cambridge Analytica, the, he just he just can't be a director of another company for seven years. I was like, right, is that it? Is that that's it? it. Yeah, that's that's it. it. Wow. So first of all, I mean, that's, a, that's another issue. But I wanted to just focus on, the responsibility of platforms, right? Like, so I'm how, gonna what can we do about this? Yeah, wow. <laughs> Sarah. So, okay, over to me. Um, <laughs> looks around the room for inspiration. I'm going to break that down into two different areas, so that's all right. So Arvin Hickman yeah. PR Week wrote about media and how important it is to have diverse representation. And he talked about his, his own experience about how he saw that in action in terms of how he'd reported on a particular case and how other media outlets had done that without understanding cultural background and uh, how easy it was for them to propagate stereotypes, unhelpful, dangerous stereotypes, in fact. Um, so that's one thing. But he also talked about, and this is really important, and, and it's something we keep coming back to, is, you know, it's such a key theme, about how important it is that while the newsroom's also diverse, the management team has to be diverse, because actually they're the ones who set the agenda of what's been reported on, and it's still not the case or certainly a, a, there's not a balance or at level that would be anywhere near acceptable so there's there's one thing there in terms of say mainstream media um which brings me back onto this other point you said about the social media platforms and these big which are huge businesses now this you know like i feel like they've sold out because you know like you look at what has gone out in terms of what they've taken in terms of political ads, what they're prepared to allow to, to be published, and the amount of misinformation and disinformation, some of it's misinformation, the, the difference for, for somebody who might not know the difference is misinformation is not necessarily something that's being deliberately sent out wrongly. Disinformation is, on a bigger scale, deliberately designed to spread lies and 
what I think is frustrating about that is that I just don't see them being willing to take enough responsibility for it. And it'd be interesting, I've never done this, actually to see what the makeup of their different management teams are, because I would imagine that actually that also comes from a lack of diversity at the top um, and, and enough, impl- or if, if there are people there, that there's probably not enough of them to have an influential enough voice, you know, or maybe come a, a, a against pressure from everybody else on the board, for example, because they are loan there as representation I, I don't know that for sure but like I, you see it in so many different other organizations that you wonder if that's part of the issue because surely if you were if you were a large group in large numbers in somewhere like Facebook and you see that the way they're responding to many of the political issues that we're seeing today this rise of the right wing you know and fascism why on earth would you not want to do more look what's happened with COVID is anti-vaxxers the number of messages that are being spread around that the disinformation around that they have the power to take this stuff down and I recognize that the number of posts every single day are insane the number of posts every minute is insane but they have a duty of care to get on top of this to find a way to do it and if it's because they're too big or they need to break that business down or lawmakers need to do that I think we're finally at that time because ultimately my view is that and yes I'm naive and yes I'm an optimist they're there to provide independent scrutiny really and to allow us all to make our own decisions, but we can't because they provide algorithms that suit their purposes to sell advertising, which means that we don't see different voices, different opinions, so we can uh, so we can inform ourselves and make our own decisions based on the truth. It's just that just doesn't happen, and it's that's the biggest problem of our time right now. We, you know, like we just, you know, unless you're willing to push yourself or you're in a you you're like you're in a business like we are where we're obliged to know you know, to be up to speed with what's happening in politics, what's what's happening in current affairs, you need to know what's happening because of the clients that you're working with and because you're damn well interested because it's your life and, you know, like, a lot of people just are switched off or read whatever Pauline from Number 24 has posted about vaccines being terrible and who needs a mask anyway. I must admit, I was encouraging, um, well, it was encouraging for me to see that my some of my family were watching the latest documentary on Netflix, actually, which is The Social Dilemma, Um, that's our day for tonight that's what we're watching tonight have you not seen it oh yeah Okay, so the first. The first <laughs> I just want to say the what the first half. <laughs> Make sure you watch it all, though. Watch it all. Because I, I, I paused halfway through, but um, watch it all. If anyone, any listeners, haven't watched it on Netflix, um, in our industry, the first, the first half, you might not learn anything new, but the second half is again thought provoking. Russell uh, Brand's done a podcast actually that's worth about this. So I, I watched that before I've seen this tonight, but it's really worth looking out. Actually, yeah. it really is quite thought-provoking. It's just about everyone having the knowledge of how the algorithms and those platforms work so they can make more considered decisions on what they're consuming. And and hopefully that's what is going to happen because, yeah, you covered so many really important points in what you just said about how those platforms work. Yes, it is based on algorithms and there is so much data that they would have to make decisions on but they can you know there are ways whether it starts with an algorithm of picking up those particular posts and then it, it will be humans who are in place yeah about political influence it's about keeping people sweet so they can keep their power and keep they keep the platform and grow it in the way they want mm. or move into different countries that's what it comes down to ultimately i mean twitter have made a good start i know people say that twitter's on the decline i still love twitter for the most part um but at least they are doing things like covering tweets 
And I think that's good because then people know there's a reason they've done that and they might look at the tweet, but at least they then go, okay, that makes sense. And it's not just, uh, okay, so the, the, the uh, president of the free world, <laughs> Donald Trump has just said this, so it must be right. Because mm. people do just take things at face value, which is the scary thing. And ads, you know, ads get, I run ad campaigns, ads get approved. They are getting approved yeah. in some way. Yeah. So there is there is that level of, of um, yeah, of approval that's going on. So then it and comes down tick, to... You know, you've got a bit of blue tick and you've also got a reputation. Maybe you need to think about that because actually, mm. you know, like, and also what is in everybody's best interest? Because, you know, it was great when Katie Hopkins here in the UK was finally taken down for inciting yeah. racial hatred. You know, I mean, you, mm. you just, they knew this for, for months and years. She was, and then she was also dictating the agenda in the mainstream media. So mm. all it does is, propagates this vicious cycle yeah. which is so unhelpful and yeah. that's what makes me mad is that often these bad pennies as I would call them you know start to dominate the mainstream media which means it gets an even more reach which is even more detrimental and harmful. They do have a responsibility and hopefully everything that we are seeing with people speaking out movements happening things like your book encouraging people who we are responsible in our in our industry we are communicating messages uh, to the world so we are in this responsible position but it does feel like there will be we will push those platforms to make a change hopefully but yeah you know just going back to celebrating what is what the change that has happened this year and continues to happen for anybody who does want to have some feeling of optimism they should be reading <laughs> this latest edition of uh, of future proof because honestly it was um it was a great read and and like i say not just thought-provoking but really practical as well it was really really fantastic so great work sarah thank you, <laughs> thank you. like i say not all my work but uh, i will thank yeah. you i'll take that on behalf of everybody who contributed <laughs> yeah it's fantastic all right thank you so much sarah i have uh, taken a lot of your time and i know that you're actually meant to be on holiday today so <laughs> <laughs> well, this is a nice way to spend a day off <laughs> all right thanks so much for your time sarah and uh, good luck with the next edition can't wait to see it thank you for that i really enjoyed it this is the PR Resolution Podcast. Keep in touch by following me on Twitter at Stella Bales. For more reading on PR, head to blog.coveragebook.com. Don't forget to tune in to the next episode and make sure you subscribe to the series on iTunes now. See you there.